you're listening to the Prodine Podcast, uniting minds across Britain. Well, hello, welcome all to another uh, weekly review of, with the Prodine or Prodine review, uh, review, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, we've got a new guest with us today, Amir Rees, a councillor in Cardiff. And Hi, Hugh, regular, nice to see you. Nice you too. Uh, regular Chris Harries, obviously, and myself, Hugh Davis. Uh, so the topics we're going to go through today are um, Rishi Sunak and his new economic measures uh, to tackle the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, COVID-19 lockdown measures in mostly South Wales, the new lockdown measures today in Cardiff, uh, Lethley, and uh, what was the third one? Swansea. And last but not least, uh, the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, their uh, supposed uh, bias against President Trump and endorsement of, um, well, candidate, candidate to Biden. So, shall we kick off with talking about the new lockdown measures? I think more, uh, more apparent as two of our co-hosts, like if I can call you that, are in Cardiff. Um, shall we go to you, Mia? What do you think? Uh, do you think these COVID measures are going to work in Cardiff? How do you, how do you think that Cardiff itself will respond? It's a very metropolitan city. Um, I, I think it's worth starting at the point that not all of Cardiff is the same. It's a big city, particularly for mm -hmm. Wales. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's a huge amount of variety of people and practice and how they live their lives. And, and that's sort of to be expected. Um, I think it's really important to bear in mind that the Cardiff Council has consistently told us and that we've had, we've been really lucky as councillors that we've had presentations from Public Health Wales and Cardiff mm -hmm. and Vale. It's been really good. We've been kept very well informed. But it's been very clear that transmission has been between houses, people meeting in houses mm -hmm. that shouldn't be, sort of super extended families or super extended friendship groups. That's where the problem's been. And they've been really clear and they've repetitively said this to us and we've all nodded along gone okay that's you know, good to know so i was a little bit surprised that sort of all the measures that have come in and talking about curbing of, of pubs and clubs and restaurants and i kind of thought hang on a minute i thought this was all being passed majority of it sorry was being passed through people being in each other's houses so I wasn't that surprised, if I'm honest, when at our full council meeting, which was a very long one last night, the leader sort of dropped the bombshell that we were very, very close to being in lockdown. And I thought to myself, he's not going to say something like that unless he knows that we're almost yeah. there. And, um, he, he was actually right. So I'm not surprised. Um, the trouble is, I think there's been so much messaging and there's been... Uh, so much sort of different words used. This isn't a lockdown. We had a lockdown in March. That was a proper lockdown. Everyone, nobody was allowed to go to work. We were only allowed to sort of shop every now and again. This isn't a lockdown. This is a restriction. So they brought in restrictions. And I think it's better to phrase it like that rather than lockdown, because I think lockdown really scares people. And I think it causes a bit more confusion. Um, and I also think it's going to be really challenging to sort of get the message out to people. And also, I think it's going to be really hard to stop people who want to meet in each other's homes to do so. And I'm a little bit concerned that there's going to be a little bit of curtain twitching and tattle titting on our neighbours 
uh, and that's going to increase because that was already pretty bad in some parts of Cardiff anyway. As a councillor, I had numerous calls telling me about Mrs. So-and-so at number so-and-so who's, who's had her boyfriend around three times this week. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not the person to tell. But there's already a little bit of that. I think it's only going to get worse. So I've got quite a few concerns and I am really concerned that the message isn't going to get out who are, who should be, who should be keeping to themselves and shouldn't be going out and seeing people. I mean, because everyone's locked in their local authority area, do you think, because there's lots of nice parks in Cardiff and there's a lot of countryside which you could go around ambling, um, do you think that people could rush on their Saturdays and Sundays down to the parks and that's going to be difficult to social distance, which could also increase transmission? I mean, to be honest, the rules, the rules don't say you can't do that anyway. Even once it comes in on Sunday, everyone can go to Heath Park, Butte Park, do what they want, because actually that's not what the, these restrictions that they brought in stop. Um, I think there will be a few people who have relatives elsewhere who are going to go like en masse to visit them this weekend. I, I think that will absolutely happen. Um, I think, to be completely honest, my relatives are a bit further afield, but if they weren't, I think I would probably do that, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, yeah. it's human nature. Like, yeah, absolutely. You want to, you're thinking, oh God, we don't know how long this is going to be. I'm going to want to do it. And, and actually, I think that's another concern with the bringing it in on, a, on Sunday. If, you, if the numbers are that bad, if it is that serious, why is it not coming in until Sunday night? Actually, it's tomorrow, isn't it? I, I, yes. I, I, it's a bit bizarre. It's bizarre. I, um, I agree. I just think it's, it, and that's the other thing, that's more confusion, isn't it? Because people will be like, hang on, why? Oh, it can't be that bad in Cardiff then. Because if it was that bad, then we'd be brought in tonight as well. Exactly. And Chris, you live uh, in Cardiff. How do you think you're going to cope? Um, because you live in a relatively built up area of Cardiff, don't you? Well, it's not how I'm going to cope, but I, I don't think that a uh, restriction is necessary. I right. think it's overplayed. Um, Mia will be able to correct me if I'm right or wrong on this, but if I'm right, it's 40 cases per 100,000 people. Yeah, that sounds about right. And so we have locked down the capital city of Wales for 40, 80, 120, say 160 people having COVID. We've locked down a city of 350,000 people over 160 odd cases. It's a farce. This is a failure by Welsh government and the UK government to sort out a proper track and trace system early enough. Um, the idea that track and trace system came live yesterday, well, they've been working on this since March. It, it's a farce across the board. It's an imposition on people's lives. It's totally unnecessary. The economic harm it's done to this country will ultimately lead to suicides, failure of businesses, lost opportunity and dreams. And this is a truly a disgrace in Westminster and the Assembly should be ashamed of themselves. I think that there are also so many inconsistencies with it as well. I mean, if you live in the Vale of Glamorgan, for example, you are in practically lockdown because every single local authority bordering you is also in lockdown. And if you live in Barry, you can't go into Cardiff, you can't go to Romford and Antarctica. So you are basically in lockdown unofficially. Um, so there are, I think, probably issues with local lockdowns in the sense that if you cut off a certain landmass, like the Vale is, um, from going about their daily business too. Um, so I, I can see 
the many issues with local lockdowns, but do you think they are here with us to stay? This, um, because it looks like we can't do another national lockdown by the sounds of it. Do you think they are here for the, for the foreseeable? I, I hate to say it, but I, I think they are, unfortunately. And I, the, the only sort of thing I would add to that as well, I do think it's, fair isn't the right word, but I apologise, it's the best one I can think of. On areas like Monmouth, for example, where I think they have one or two cases, I think it would be unfair to have a national lockdown in Wales when you've got areas like Monmouth, areas like the rest of Carmarthen, Ceredigion, Anglesey, where the numbers are so much lower and it would seem ridiculous to me to put the whole of Wales into lockdown because the South are having a higher level of experience. And actually, I'm, I'm honestly quite surprised because if I was a betting person, I would have said if Wales had the chance to put everybody back in lockdown, they would. And I'm, I'm actually pleased and surprised that the Welsh government that I know, I would have assumed that's the route they, they would have gone down. They haven't. So I guess that's the only very, very, very thin silver lining on all of this. I mean, why do you think, both of you now, why do you think the Welsh government has U-turned on this? Because previously... Um, they announced we're not going local lockdowns, that's for England to do, we're Welsh, we don't want to do that type of thing. Um, but now they seem to be more addicted to it than any other part of the UK. So why do you think that's changed? Fear this of England and the science or the projections that were put out earlier in the week by the likes of Witty and Valance. Mm. The sort of 50,000 cases per day or whatever. I think it's fear that has driven them to do this. Mm. Um, essentially, I, I view the government as essentially like King Canute on the beach trying to stop the tide. And the imposition on people's lives is totally unacceptable. People should be trusted to do the right thing. They should be trusted to go about the lives they want. Masks, maybe. Not compulsory, but on an optional basis. If you think that it's the right thing to do, you should do that. People should be encouraged to wash their hands, use the anti-back. But this sort of locking people up, it's just, it's a nonsense. You, you can't hide from nature. And if it's about in the world, you can't simply lock people up and just hope the coronavirus will go away. It, it's here. We've got to hope that the vaccine turns up sooner or later. But this sort of idea, we can just lock the uh, popular circle, restrict their movements, restrict their lives. This is a farce. You look at the children that have suffered because of lockdown. They're education affected. They couldn't do their exams. And they end up with the farce of the examination results. This is across the board, people are suffering because politicians are too scared of making a tough choice and doing a Sweden. I think, to be honest with you, Hugh, to answer your question, I think it's because they mm. can. Um, right. I think that we've seen all governments of all colours U-turn a lot. And I think you see U-turns when actually people make decisions and they're actually not sure they've made the right decision um. or the situation changes. And we are in a time where there is constant changes and constant adaptions. I think not, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be the one that just cuts the, the Welsh government some slack, but I think it's simply because they can and because it's very difficult for those who are their opposition to criticize them. Because let's be honest, Clyde have called for more stringent measures throughout the whole of this period. And it's very difficult for the Welsh Conservatives to criticise the Welsh Government when in England, that's what Westminster is doing. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think 
for them, they're in a really good place where they absolutely can do it. And it's actually, this sounds awful, but it's only section of the public that will be up in arms and not the politicians that stand in the chamber with them. Yeah. And I think that, that gives them greater scope to make these kind of measures. Well, that's an entire topic, well, entirely different topic altogether, the issue of devolution and COVID, which I'm sure we'll discuss at a later date on this podcast. Well, I think you absolutely should. This would be a great forum to discuss that kind of issues. Probably. Um, related to COVID now, we're going to uh, discuss the recent new economic package announced by the Chancellor uh, yesterday now in House of Commons about how we're going to support jobs for the next six months while we have these more permanent stringent measures of shutting pubs at 10, curbing the amount of um, alcohol that can be sold in uh, each premises. And how do you think this is going to work now? Do you think that this will save a significant amount of jobs or do you think that we are still going to lose amount of jobs or do you think they'll come back? Uh, because everything seems a bit of a mess at the moment. You know, unemployment is gonna skyrocket. Do you think that this will help curb that? Um, yeah, I think your analysis is, is fair, uh, Hugh. I think unemployment was shot to absolutely skyrocket. And I think measures like this will mean it will just rise. Um, we, mm. we cannot be so naive as to think that these measures will prevent mass unemployment. Um, mm -hmm. And I think actually, if I'm completely honest, I think it's naive of those who say, well, if we continue with furlough, that's the way to do it. Because I strongly believe if you just continued with furlough in the way that it currently is, all you're doing is delaying people losing their jobs. Um, mm. And actually, I don't see a huge amount of value in keeping jobs going or people giving people the false hope that they've got a job to come back to when they haven't. Um, so I think that's actually very damaging to, to people. Uh, so I think keeping furlough going as it was was, was never a good idea. Um, leave aside the huge cost uh, that that's causing us. I think that this will help. I think mm -hmm. it is a helpful measure. Um, I think it is something that's a good uh, nuance between that huge support of furlough um, and then the complete cliffhead. Um, but it won't solve unemployment. At the end of the day, we are heading towards a major recession and in periods mm -hmm. of major recession, we have high unemployment. Now that doesn't make it easier for no. the poor who are going to lose their jobs and are going to be unemployed and are going to really struggle. I'm very, very, very aware of that. But unfortunately, that is, that is going to be part of this period. Um, and it's actually about what we do as things move forward, what support we can offer. So personally, I think the Kickstarter scheme is a really good step in the right direction, targeting young people who are likely to be unemployed. We all know if you're young and you're unemployed for a long period of time, the chances mm. of remaining unemployed throughout the rest of your life is very hard, is very high, sorry, so to target those young people and make sure they have a chance to experience the workplace and earn money, I think is really important. And I would like to see more schemes like that um, in place rather than just paying people's salaries, hopefully delay them becoming unemployed. And Chris, what's your view of the Chancellor's statement yesterday? Well, he's put some interesting proposals in place. Um, the job mm. support scheme is very similar to the sort of German Kurzabiet program mm. um, sort of idea that it allows companies the flexibility to reduce workers' hours, retain the workers so that when work picks up, they can sort of weather the financial storm. Mm. Some aspects is very welcome, um, but it's the sort of inevitable one that part of the problem is being driven by government policy in that 
by locking down the economy, restrictions, etc., across the UK, they're impacting on business, they're impacting on jobs and livelihood. Mm. And so in one sense, it's sort of, in one hand, they're cutting off the blood supply, and at the other side, they're then trying to put on a plaster. And it's sort of like, we might as well just embrace the fact that COVID is here and accept that and allow business to go about their operations as they would. They would have to accommodate, but I don't think the solution solely comes from business. I think um, government is not the sort of the complete fix to this and neither is it for business. But if you were to allow business to operate in their interest, they would have to adapt the way they operate. So uh, bars in Cardiff, for instance, when they reopened, they, um, we went for drinks, as you remember, they had a table service, they restrict the number of people in the venue. You can work around it. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we simply completely loosen up the economy and say crack on, but at the same time, government is the impediment to growth and prosperity at this moment. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on what I'm about to suggest, but do you think we should just be radical and do universal basic income for the next 12 months? Do you no. think that will solve the issue of uh, income support? I couldn't I couldn't disagree more with that if I'm completely honest I think Uh universal income is very much not the answer universal income is basically furlough for all Uh Uh, and uh, I I think at a time when we need to we need to be careful we need to spend money on things that are going to help people in this time are going to help us weather this storm now there's no way we're just putting a cagoule on and standing in the middle of a a hurricane at the moment which isn't going to sort it out but I, I, I really, I really strongly feel that universal basic income is a slippery slope to universal benefits for, for all, for, for alternatively. And I do not believe that the benefit system is, I very strongly believe the benefit system is there for those most in need at the time when they most need it. And it's not mm-hmm. for people like me who have a good job, a little bit of top up money, which I can spend on what I like. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. These individuals like me, should absolutely not be getting money from the state to support the way I live. I really fundamentally disagree with that. What about yeah. you, Chris? Uh, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that because effectively what it is doing is by the sort of universal nature of it, you're actually depriving money being given to those who are most vulnerable in society. Uh, this You could say this to pretty much most benefits that are applied on a universal basis rather than the sort of needs basis, the bus passes, uh, the winter fuel allowance, the TV license, etc. What it's doing is it's wasting resource that could be given by the government to help those the most vulnerable in society. And instead, it's going on to give a winter fuel allowance to people who are, have a very comfortable pension. They know they don't need it, but it's welcome, like extra cash. But then you have the very poorest uh, pensioners, for instance, who don't get sufficient amounts because there's not enough money in the pot. Um, I mean, uh, taking uh, this view from probably from a, a, a you know devil's advocate, you know, a libertarian or a, a lefty, uh, giving you know this will be if we had universal based income, simple system, get rid of all benefits, have this indefinitely, load of bureaucracy, get rid of load of civil service trying to administer it, simples, save save money at the same time. I, and I, I do understand why people make those arguments, but for me, it doesn't really stack out. Government decisions should never be because it's simple. It should be because it's right and it helps the people who need it most. And I, I, I feel that quite strongly. And then when it comes to bureaucracy, um, I again understand that point, 
but I think the balance of taking the effort to make sure the most money gets to the people who need it most is still worth spending a bit more money on uh, than, make, than basically giving everybody a similar level with and then also there's always going to be some bureaucracy because all people who advocate for universal basic income go well of course people with this or people who experience that or people who have an income of this would get a top up well there's still loads of bureaucracy then because you're going to have to work all that out and how are you going to do that that's going to require some level of bureaucracy and some level of civil servants to work all that out so i think at the end of the day the only way to do proper universal basic income is to give everybody a, a living wage and that's communism and we don't want that in this no. What about you, Chris? Do you think, you know, you, you coming from, because I, I, I would call you a libertarian and such, but I know you have libertarian aspects. Do you think that would warm you, that you, you would make you warm to the idea of universal basic income? No, um, no negative income tax instead is a more sophisticated way of addressing the problem um, mm -hmm. or the situation, which is that you would set a, what a standard wage you would accept as reasonable and then raise the tax allowance to accommodate it. I, I do think there's something perverse about our taxation system that you accept some people on the lowest wage in society, you tax them and then give them the money back as a tax credit. I, I just think there's something completely perverse about that. So I mean, that's wasted bureaucracy, isn't it? Yeah. There's yeah, a prime yeah, example yeah. Of, a, of a policy which just created bureaucracy when actually what you could have done is just take those people out of tax and basically give keep that let them just keep that money in their pocket rather than them need to you know, come with a begging bowl to ask for it back it just seems perverse to me yeah mm -hmm. well going back uh to our beginning of the discussion let's have let's have a, a more broad discussion about rishi shunak as an individual um you know he's only been an mp four years he's well five years actually now and you know he's now one of the top top positions in British politics, one of the best known politicians in the country who only a few months ago, probably no, nobody heard of. And so how do you think he has, uh, do you think he's benefited the government, the way he's handled things, you know, because obviously the government hasn't had the best of six months, let's be perfectly honest, this is the UK government now and all the world governments for that matter. Do you think he has improved their image? Do you think he will help them in the next? six months to guide them through publicly, you know, with public opinion, etc. Or do you think that the shine will rub off and he'll become as disliked as some other members of the cabinet? Yeah. Um, I, I, I have to say my worry is that the positive ratings of Richie will not rub off on the Conservative Party mm -hmm. and that his um, schemes that have been very popular with voters will be credited to him rather than to the, the party more generally. So that's a slight concern for me, that sort of separation of, oh, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, and Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister and leader of the Conservative Party. So that's mm -hmm. a little concern that I have. I also think that political fortunes, you know, no one is ever universally loved and you know, there will come a time, particularly, you know, this is, this is not an easy time to be chancellor, let's be completely honest, he is going to have to make a very unpopular decision, whether he makes an unpopular decision to raise taxes and upset people like us, or whether he makes decisions to end or furlough and support and all paying people's wages and upsets other people, so he is hmm. going to eventually have to upset people. Is the nature of politics 
whether he has the character strength and the sort of PR to carry him through and people to go, oh yes, that he was Richie who, you know, who, who helped us out with furlough, whether he'll be able to hold that through, I don't know. I also think it's going to be, fingers crossed, another five years until we have another general election. So much can change in that time. Um, and my only final comment on Richie would be, I think that we underestimated him a little bit when Sajid Javid stepped down from the position because of the issues with pooling the special advisors. And there was this sort of very cynical sort of sneering attitude. Well, he clearly is a yes man. You know, he's just going to listen to Boris and Cummings. And there was a lot of that going around. And I think we've been proven that that is not the case. And he's very much his own man. And he's very determined to, to show us that. I don't know if you feel like that, Chris. To be honest, having a drink. Something strong, I hope. Um, all political careers end in failure, as, uh, as a great man once said. <laughs> um, I think For those listening, that, that is Enoch Powell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so um, I think the way to go about it is that we can't really judge how he'd been as a chancellor until 12, 18, 24 months' time. Until mm. really we see where the market goes, what happens with the economy. We won't be able to tell whether what he's done now has worked, whether it's been beneficial or where, whether it's going to be sufficient. Um, realistically, when he took over the job, he was in the job for a couple of days before crisis um, started. He didn't really have much room to manoeuvre early on in the crisis. He doesn't seem to put a foot wrong since. Um, I mean, he managed to somehow get uh, the Trade Union Congress um, on board yesterday because he was posing for a picture with um, Francis O'Grady yesterday morning before he announced his uh, statement. That takes him doing as Conservative um, Chancellor to get the TUC on board. Um, but whether he's going to be able to keep favour for Lon will ultimately be determined by what he does next. And that will inevitably involve the discussion about whether he cuts the state or he raises taxes or a bit of both. If he cuts taxes... Um, that could be one way, or if he raises them, he is going to alienate people. And he can go from a darling to divisive figure very, very quickly based on that. I mean, one controversial, uh, this hasn't become official yet, but he did hint at equalising self-unemployed uh, national insurance contribution to those who work uh, for a company or work in general, um, which, it, which has been very controversial with Tory backbenchers in the past. Do you think something like that could now be saleable to the public because a lot of people who have been self-employed are getting money from the state. Uh, their entire, practically their entire their income has been paid by the state. Do you think arguments about tax rises are a little bit easier now than they were six months ago? Yeah, I think they absolutely are, um, to be honest with you, Hugh. I think a lot of people, you know, the number of people who've said to me, oh, I wouldn't want to be in his position. You know, I wouldn't want to be making those decisions. And I think particularly people who haven't been financially affected by this they look at others and go well yeah I can understand why and though I wouldn't be happy I could understand it and I think it would be it would, it would all depend on who it's directed at how far those taxes are, are spread now there will be some of us that will say well no no tax rises should happen at all but I don't feel that that's the, the majority of the public and I think the majority of the public would be quite understanding 
unless for some bizarre reason he brings in taxes that really hammer a certain group, which um, which, which I don't think he would do because I think he's he's a bit too savvy for that. I'd be really interested to hear your take actually. You know, what do you think of him as a as a politician, as an operator? Uh, well, I don't. To be honest with you, he hasn't been there very long. He's not ideological. Well, he hasn't shown any signs of ideology as yet because this is an unideological um, crisis. Uh, no ideology can fix this. So I would probably say we need to give him a bit more time. Um, once this crisis is over, it's probably going to be another 12 months, I, I can foresee. Uh, you know, we need to see whether he is a Thatcherite, whether he is a moderate conservative who, uh, like Ken Clark, put up taxes here, put up taxes there, um, to ensure we don't have to have as deep a cuts as we have had in the past 10 years. I don't know. I think that, uh, just wait and see. I mean, you know, a lot of people have been talking about him being the next Prime Minister. I wouldn't be too, too sure, too early to say, I think. Yeah, and I think also you always say the people who they talk about to be the next Prime Minister very rarely is. <laughs> do either of you think he's got, he's got, he's got what it takes to be Prime Minister? I think he has, with a bit longer, but I don't know. Do you think he's got what it takes? Not whether you would support him necessarily, but do you think he's got He seems to be a capable operator. Yeah. He seems slightly more on the button than Hammond. Hmm. and less devious than George Osborne, um, because hmm. George Osborne as Chancellor operated on almost playing games and tactically positioning stuff to appeal to different segments of the electorate. And I think going, that's a really good example as well, because I really found Osborne, was, he was so, him and Cameron were, were a pair, you know, it was like Blair and Brown, they were a pair, and they came together, whilst Rishi very much has struck off on his own, you know, it's not it's not Boris and him, is it? It's very much him on his own. I think that's quite a clever way to play it. Say again, sorry. I think it's way too early to tell. Yeah, about yeah, it. yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, I think I think he thinks he has the potential to be, but then I think that most people who get to that level in politics think they have the potential. And most of them do if they play their cards right and you know uh, but I I don't know it'll be very interesting to see and I think it'll also depend on what direction the Conservative Party goes this this whole crisis will test the party hugely um, and I think it'll be fascinating to see where the membership of the party and the MPs um, want to go next um, or whether they want to stick with Boris I mean, we don't we don't know yet. It's again too soon to tell. Mm -hmm. any, any last thoughts on this, Chris? Before we move on. It's um, what Mia said. Where the party wants to go, you can already see there are tensions with Number Ten and the backbench. You wouldn't think that they'd be talking newspapers nine, ten months after general election with talk of government losing uh, votes when they came back with an eighty-seat majority, and yet. Mm. You've, we've seen the new intake of MPs are very opinionated, they're strident, they're not overly keen to follow the whip as maybe as tightly as people thought they would. Um, the one thing I would say about Rishi is he's got name recognition in a way that few politicians have. Um, mm -hmm. It struck me uh, going into Weatherspoons just after they reopened the pub yeah, yeah. and they had 
Rishi's meal deals. Mm. Now, few politicians would be recognised by even their surname, but to be recognised by his sort of forename, like uh, I can think of few politicians, like um, Maggie. Uh, Boris. Boris. Yeah, yeah. All have that sort of recognition factor with the wider public. Mm. I think particularly in that role, like I think that, you know, us political nerds know who they are, but there was a guy who rung up BBC Wales the other day who referred to him as Dishy Rishi, like that was his name, <laughs> you know, and I thought that that's fascinating. His nickname is now so commonly used, people should use it like it's his name. Mm. Um, and and I, I think that says, a, that says a hell of a lot. Mm. It's a transference across um, political boundaries, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep. Well... So moving on to a little, a topic a little bit different to what we have been discussing. Um, for viewers who don't know, uh, about, well, you don't know, was it Tuesday or Wednesday? Um, the Duchess of Sussex, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, I should say, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, did a miniature video um, calling out hate speech and, you know, um, other very, um, yeah, just, 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 just anti-hate speech. And many people interpreted it as an attack on Donald Trump and as a endorsement of Joe Biden. Now, as they're no longer officially royals in the sense that they're working royals, um, the palace seems to have, uh, that's Buckingham Palace now, seems to have washed their hands of them. But do, does the panel think that um, they're still going to have an impact on Britain's image abroad? Because they still do represent us in many respects. And do, do you think we should go a bit further and completely cut them off entirely from the royal family, even taking away their um, titles? I, 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 brutally honest, the peer of them appear hypocrites. Right. They lamented the sort of intrusive nature of the British media. And yet at the same time, they're doing these social media things, which they know ultimately will generate. Now, if you really do not want to be in the public eye, do not place yourself in the public eye. Now, Harry could not help who he was uh, the son of, but he said he wanted to walk away from that life. Now, we think you should be consistent and wipe your hands on it and walk away from it. I also find it a bit hypocritical to talk about hate speech when this is someone who was quite happy to pose up dressed as a Nazi. There's a sort of, he legitimised that sort of thing when he's dressed up as an, was it an SS member or... Um, whatever. And it's that sort of thing of, he, he's clearly beholden to this woman. But at the end of the day, she wants the perks of the life without the responsibility. And I'm not an overly big supporter of the monarchy. But I would say that the Queen has tread the line very carefully on she understands her place in the grand scheme of things, i.e. above politics, um, dutifully doing her role. Whereas it seems that Charles is very keen to interfere in the political system. And Harry most definitely is now determined to be almost an activist. And it's not reconcilable with the role of a monarch in a constitutional monarch. What do you think, Mia? Um, I'm not surprised, uh, honestly. I'm actually surprised that they've not come out and just said it. I just come out and said, I think that Joe Biden should be our next president. If I'm completely honest, I really wouldn't put it past them. And if they did that, and someone was like, can you believe it? I'd be like, yeah, of course I can believe it. I'm not surprised in the slightest. I think we all know their politics, and I think it's definitely not pro-Trump, is it? Let's, let's not be about the bush here. 
yeah. I mean, there would have been a bit. Oh, go on, there. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I, I was just all I was going to say was, I, I understand Chris's point in that Harry didn't have a choice, and you can't have both sides of the coin. Um, but unfortunately, if you are born into that family and you or you marry into that family, you one of the pains of that very privileged life is that you have a media intrusion and to different levels that is acceptable or, or not. Um, but also that, that you represent something which is fundamentally important to Britain and our democracy and our, con our unwritten constitution. And obviously Megan didn't grow up in this country. She, she doesn't maybe have the same level of understanding, but Harry mm -hmm. should have the best understanding in, in the world. And the fact that they will always be seen as representative of Britain and of, mm -hmm. British, and of the British monarchy in some way, regardless of how far they step away from it. Mm -hmm. Titles like the Duke and Duchess, it, it enforces that in people who maybe don't understand the full nuances of, of where they are right now. Uh, yeah, so I'm just waiting for them to do a full campaign video, to be honest. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. There's, there's still time, there's still time. There is still time. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm wondering, yeah, do you think the name of that Duke and Duchess of Sussex will be like the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson? Do you think they are the new Wallace Simpson and Edward VIII? Will always cause trouble um, for the royals at home. You know, the Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson. Yeah, did yes, because people because they're a good story, aren't they? Mm. They're a great story. No matter what they do or what they say, they are a story. And particularly those in in America, they love it when we're tearing each other apart over here. Mm. And I think that for them, with their girl in it. You know, they almost have some sort of investment even more in it. And I, I think people love a bit of scandal. People love a bit of difference. People love it when you know, all the reasons why all the best dramas are based around families, the most popular dramas that people love and get into are based around families. It's because people love it when families are tearing each other apart. And if it's, if let's talk about the most successful TV show of the last 10 years is Keeping Up With The Kardashians. All they are is a royal Kardashians. They get yeah, the yeah. same level of, of press and media attention and use social media in very similar ways. Um, and people eat it up. So for everything they say, there's always going to be an audience for it. And no matter how far, and, and actually it becomes even more of a story if the royal family try and distance themselves more vocally from them. Because then that's a story, isn't it? And it's mm -hmm. I mean, do, do, do we think that, you know, that they will be together in the next 10 years' time? Or do you think they're going to be divorced? Do you think they're going to have... Well, I don't like to bet on people's relationships. <laughs> okay. I think that the reality is he staked his future on this relationship. And so I think yeah. he was prepared to step away from the, um, the firm, as they call it. The what, sorry? The firm. The firm. Oh, the firm. I see. Yes, yeah, sorry. That in for this woman, then ultimately, I think the relationship is strong. Um, I do echo what uh, Trump said. The like, I, I feel for the bloke. Like he clearly is under the like under his spell. Um, but again, like his um, great uncle, great great uncle, the Queen's um, uncle, who the eighth, yeah. Um, 
it's he does not understand the role of the monarchy in a constitutional monarchy in that um, where Edward thought that he could bend the rules to accommodate himself, Harry wants to be an activist uh, on a on the world stage, which is great. Mm. But the idea of a constitutional monarchy is that you you're seen but not heard, a bit like Victorian mm. children, um, and so you're there to turn up at the state opening of Parliament. But other than that, you simply say, "How do you do? What do you do? Nice to meet you," and you walk out the room. And that's the role of the monarchy. But he wants to be able to have the sort of the lifestyle. Um, I saw that apparently their trip to Africa was the most expensive royal visit of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was in the paper today, wasn't it? Now, they want the lifestyle. They want to be activists, but they don't want the scrutiny that comes with being an activist. She apparently got very worked up whenever the media questioned what she was doing. Um, she doesn't like the media, but her friends were brief in the media. Um, there's a huge degree of hypocrisy here. But I do think I mean, oh God. really that if they want to be activists, they've done the right thing to step away so they're not on the public purse. Um, but ultimately, the hypocrisy is that they want the, they want the lifestyle, they want the privacy, but at the same time, they, they must realise that lifestyle comes from the public interest in them. I mean, playing devil's advocate here, as I've done before, don't you think that he's quietly trying to carry on the work of his mother? His mother, Princess Diana, did a lot of work with charities. She could herself have been accused of being an activist of some sort, the work she's on landmines and aid, etc. Do you think that's just him trying to channel the unfinished business of his mother? I, I, I am really fortunate in that as a young teenager i didn't go through what him and william went through mm -hmm. my mother was there because mm. you know she's still there and therefore i can't imagine what it must be like to lose a parent that you are so incredibly close to at such a formative time in your life and in the and public I, eye as well mm. yeah and i just feel that that's bound to have a massive effect on you and I think with the way that she died, the way that you engage with things like the media and the way that you view yourself and the way you value certain things in life. Um, and, I, and I think that's had a huge effect on him. And I think, obviously, I don't know, I don't know them, shocker. Um, but I would imagine that he saw in Meghan a kind of escape, a removal from that, something very new, something very different. And but someone who also had similar views to him about how uh, the, the media is fundamentally can be, you know, certain types of media can be a bad thing. Um, and and she, she very much believes that as well. And I think when you've had that kind of formative experience, it can really pull you in different ways. And, and I have to say, I think him and William have both spoken about how they really admired their, their mothers. And I think they used the words, you admired my mother's work on those issues, particularly in regards to AIDS. They both mm. and I think you can absolutely admire um, and want to continue the, the work of, of someone that you love and care about. And I think there are ways to do that. And I actually think there are ways you can do that and still remain um, an active royal. I think Heads Together is a great example of that, the charity that they set up for mental health with 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 um, uh, Kate, Kate and William, you know, they they've done really incredible things with that. I mean, that's had its controversies, but it's shown that you can do things within that royal model if you do really want to. Do it. And at the end of the day, you are a royal. You do have a voice. 
you can say these things, yes, there will be controversies. I mean, all the things that Trump has said over the years, the causes that he cares about, but it doesn't, it doesn't completely shut off your mouth. And I think that, that has developed and changed. Um, I, I just really hope they, they use that voice that they will continue to have for the positive difference. Um, like I believe that Diana did on the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. Chris? Yeah, well, I can't disagree with most of what uh, Mia said there. Like, it's very true, he had a formative experience. It was clearly traumatic to lose a parent in the public eye. And I think he saw some of the worst parts of the royal family at that point. The sort of, the show must go on. I don't know how old was he at the time. Probably 10, 11 at the time. It's it's a traumatic experience, and yet he was expected to fulfil that role in in effect, like a sort of another cog in the machine, just to keep going um, for appearances' sake. And so I think he saw the very worst aspects of the royal family. That sort of the show must go on. Um, emotion doesn't really matter. You can't really show emotion. And what Mia said is he has a voice. Well, they do have a voice. But I think the voices that they got to manage that the voices used not to play politics. And so when he was saying about hate speech, everyone knew who he was talking about. Um, and Trump, I mean, Trump will have welcomed it because Trump operates on a sort of all news is good news um, approach to politics. So if you're talking about him, it's free publicity. But ultimately, that's not suitable for a monarch or a member of the monarchy in that they should be above party politics. They should be, they, they, there's a salient point to say about maybe our political discourse is poison, it's febrile. But when you know that it's Meghan Markle, you can also see the body language of sort of, he was saying it, that he's being egged on by her. Um, I shouldn't say her because it implies I'm saying she's like the cat's mother. But um, yeah, it's that sort of attitude of, he clearly was not comfortable in the, the machinery of the royal family and this was a, a good way to escape do you do you think it'll make any difference you to to this whole campaign because honestly I, I don't think it will no no not not a single vote will change because of it um uh, looking at uh, current polls i mean like like, like there's people who follow me on Twitter. they are narrowing and I, but I, I think more than anything it will harden biden's base more than anything it will perhaps rev up the base for Biden, but in many respects, it could rev up the base for Trump. I mean, the more criticism Trump gets from, um, I don't like using this term, but you can call them part of a liberal elite, um, the more those type of celebrities gang up on Trump and his silent majority, the more likelihood I think that that will engage his, his base to go out and vote for him. And as polls consistently suggest, he has the enthusiasm factor in this race. And I think that will increase it. I think it will be a detrimental effect on, on Biden personally. I, I, on the royal family, I think that I think that we're going to get to a stage where communication between the Sussexes and the palace will break down completely. I don't think there'll be anything. I mean, there's, there's barely any now, but I think it will just reduce to nothing. I do think they're in risk of losing their titles. I do think they are in risk of losing any sort of credibility here in Britain. And I think that they will just become a new Hollywood, that Hollywood family, just living in Beverly Hills. And, you know, like, like the Kardashians, they may, they may even do, I think they are actually talking about a TV series. 
um, to bring in some extra cash because obviously they've lost a lot of their block grant uh, from uh, the Brawl family. So yes, um, it, won't, it won't change single vote at all. I think it was pointless. I think it was just unnecessary. And I think it was just pontificating because they can, um, in, 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 in simple terms. But yes, but um, as, that's, as I finish on that point, I'd like to thank Chris and Mia for uh, joining me. Um, I'm sure we'll see Chris again, and I hope we'll have Mia on again as a guest. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. Not no problem at all. So um, thank you all for listening. And, uh, we'll hear, we'll see you next week. Bye now. See you. Bye. For more from the Pradain Review, head to pradain.review on any web browser. Alternatively, check out at Pradain Review on Twitter or Facebook.